Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Jose. Uh, hola, Zan. Uh, Joe, I gotta say, I gotta say, I enjoyed Miami. Oh, yeah? Yes. Now, when you enter Miami, you gotta ask, because I've never <laughs> been to Miami, but does Pitbull actually come out and just say, Miami, like every time you enter? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and then suddenly you turn around and there's, uh, there's some guys in a convertible with white suits on and sunglasses right. busting cocaine deals. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, because, okay, so for, for the people visiting the UCM, my girlfriend Allison and I uh, recently celebrated our one-year anniversary, and to celebrate, we went to Miami. Aw. Yeah, and there was, like this billboard that you would see quite a bit that I could not for the life of you tell you what it was for. Hmm. It was called Miami Vice Lifestyle. <laughs> and j- judging by judging by the billboard, it could either be for a gym, uh-huh. a a like a maybe a like chic clothing out a, a like fast fashion clothing outlet. Right. Or maybe porn? I don't know. Okay. Those are, yeah. are very different from each Just other. But two guys and like six girls all dressed in black. Yeah. Huh. But okay. I have to say, so we stayed in Little Havana. Um, yes. And my blood is now partially mojito. Okay. Yes. That's fun. Mojitos are very good. Oh, yes. No, I am truly into the mojito now, but very nice. specifically, okay. the, in Little Havana, there's a place called, it's, it's, a little, it's a little touristy, but it's, it's iconic. There's a place called uh, Old Havana, mm. and oh my god, the coconut mojito, just, Ooh. it is thick. It is, oh. <laughs> it is a thick drink. It reminds me of this place that my friend Isaac and I would go to after, um, practice on saturdays when we were in high school and Mm. like you know we had to wake up early we have to drive over to tampa and then you know we're filthy and muddy coming back and we stopped at this place across from the clearwater airport it is now a parking lot so but anyways we go into this place it is disgusting you know in pre-covid times it's horrific to think about but this was a disgusting restaurant but oh my god the best pressed Cuban sandwich <laughs> and f- freshly made sugar cane juice. They just had a Ooh. juicer with a cylindrical opening in it and just fed the sugar cane into it. And it came out like, like frothy. I hate to use that word. Like, <laughs> like 
frothy milk and it was Ooh. so sweet and so good and that is what this mojito tasted like i was gnawing on the stock of sugar cane in it dang that sounds really good yeah no i mean now that i think about it i think i just like sugar which i already knew <laughs> fair enough but yeah. yes no me just like looking like a panda sitting at the <laughs> sitting on the <laughs> sitting on the street <laughs> Oh my gnawing, god! Sipping my mojito and right. gnawing on sugar cane. <laughs> oh Jesus, Sam! Yeah, that's a look. Yeah, one thing I have to say though is, and and here's where my genuine confusion is: mm. the thrifting in Miami, not as not what I was expecting. Okay, I kind of have to say, as much as I loved it, I had a great time, lots of cool stuff. We went thrifting kind of all over the place and didn't really find a lot of good places and with a lot with interesting stuff and this is confusing to me because we we know what happened in miami i mean yeah where are the cocaine clothes (laughs) joe where are the cocaine clothes like (laughs) for for we know what Miami was. We know what they were doing in the 70s and 80s. Like, oh my God, yeah. Where are the clothes from all of that? Like, why aren't they in their, like, thrifted and, uh, and, and vintage clothing stores? They're not there. They know. They're like, we can't, this can never happen again. Like, we're not going to have the public seen, I have seen the Robin Williams Nathan Lane classic, The Birdcage. Oh, <laughs> I have seen that actually. <laughs> oh, that's such a that's such a good movie. That's um, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams are uh, are a couple, and they own a like burlesque drag, uh, club in Miami. Oh, nice! And their son is bringing home his fiance, and her father is like a conservative senator. Oh man. Yeah, so so obviously the movie writes itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just set up at that point. They can just yeah. improvise away. Yeah, yeah, and yes. you know you get to see like Robin Williams not be the goofball of a movie, which is oh, I always fun. find interesting. Also, you are reminded how incredibly hairy his chest is. Yeah, he looks yeah. so at home. <laughs> <laughs> I I imagine you walking into any of these thrift stores in Miami and after a while of searching just starting to crack and just be like where are the cocaine clothes? I need them. <laughs> so I was like, "Sir, we don't we don't know." And you're like, "No, yeah. I need it now." <laughs> I want yeah. a white suit. Uh, I mean, I I try really hard not to bother people whenever I visit a city. <laughs> No, I'm the same way. <laughs> I, know. I, I know we we lived in a city, and that's the truth. We kind of just we we walk in, and it's like, "Hi, can we help you?" And we're like, "No, I don't think so. I think we're gonna look." And that's yeah. absolutely not how that works in Italy. But no, yeah, not at all. I think more for me, it was trying to uh, differentiate Spanish and Italian words in my head, so <laughs> right, that I didn't right. sound like a complete idiot. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, though, uh, Cuban uh, sandwiches not from Cuba. Oh, yeah, they're uh, it's it's no one's in, it's a little bit of a debated subject. It's kind of like New York pizza in that way, but right, most people right. agree it either originated in Ybor City in Tampa, oh, Miami, okay. or the Keys, anywhere where there were big 
uh, Cuban and other immigration sure. Im- immigrant populations in Florida, but um, right, Cuban right. sandwich, not uh, huh. Cuban, huh? Floridian. That's well, Floridian, well, there, well, there Cuban, whatever. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, there you go. That's a little fun fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, today is going to be chock full of fun facts. Pressed, Ooh. pressed into a delicious sandwich for your ears. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, because look around, look around at all of these goofy, dorky dinosaurs that we have surrounding us. We love it. We today are going to be talking about uh, the portrayals of dinosaurs <laughs> over the last, uh, you know, 150 odd years of artists attempting to depict extinct animals. Excellent, excellent. My, mm-hmm. I, uh, well, it's so fun. I still love seeing some of these older illustrations that are just so wonky. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the dinosaur, it's just anatomically now from what we have just doesn't make any sense at all. It's a favorite pastime of mine to just look through. Yeah, but there's a certain freedom that they kind of had in like <laughs> not having to be accurate because you just look around and you can see like weird illustrations of like plesiosaurs biting pterosaurs on the ass and like, right, you know, everything... <laughs> Everything is like scrambling and running around and screaming and biting each other all the time. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it just kind of looks like everything was high octane back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just like Miami Vice would have you to believe. Of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that where does that do you know where that comes from? Like, do we like how, why does that start? Why does the. Or I guess, like, to clarify, like, mm-hmm. how does that depiction start? Like, where can we trace uh-huh. that back to? There's a couple of things that, uh, w- when you look at paleo art, which is is kind of the shorthand for art of prehistoric uh, animals and plants, basically, mm. paintings that are meant to depict what what life was like uh before humans or you know in some cases with humans but prehistoric life Uh paleo art sort of is the umbrella term the chaoticness of paleo art that you can see in a lot of those paintings to me at least is is sort of coming from two factors one i think is a bit more of an economical uh answer and one is a bit more of a social construct Okay. The economic thing to me, I think, is sort of the like um sort of the zoo books type mentality. Did were did were you a subscriptor t- uh to uh zoo books as a child? I don't think so. Did you have an estranged an estranged aunt that got you a zoo books subscription cuz they kind of vaguely knew that you liked animals and knew nothing else about you? Probably. I mean, I feel like I I don't call now and get the tiger poster. (laughs) It's 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 like I can visualize it, but I don't know if I've had them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember having subscriptions, but I was like given secondhand encyclopedia like for kids books and stuff yeah okay but okay. yeah hi- i was more in that realm more like a highlights. highlights i was You're a highlights, highlights family yeah 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 I, yeah, I got Muse and I got Zoo Books, I think. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Muse was like Smithsonian Magazine for kids, I think. 
Um, okay. I'm not sure. Uh, Muse was uh, Muse was like it, it was something like that. It might have. It was one of those like kind of. It, it was like the kids' version of some other uh, mm. uh, magazine. Anyways, okay. Um, but okay. So in a zoo books that in that type of illustration where you don't have a lot of pages to talk about a lot of things, I think in on the one hand, all of that paleo art has to cram in so many things all at once to help you understand that this world is uh occupied by uh plants animals and other organisms that would be totally un uh unrecognizable to you completely alien to the time period we now find ourselves in the right. uh the holocene anthropocene uh capitalocene um it's not a scene it's a goddamn arms race um <laughs> you know yeah exactly yeah so so in in sort of an economical sense you want to have sort of like um like a mural in like a downtown arts district that kind of has a uh a a diverse array of characters from across time all kind of crammed into one image right okay yeah you know you want you, you want to have the mural that's like or the, the page in a book that shows Oh, it's not like a jungle just like today, but there's just a couple of dinosaurs running around. I need to see, oh, but there's also fish that are different and marine mm. reptiles that are different and amphibians that are different and there's no birds yet and there's no, there's none of this, but there's this. It needs to right. okay. literally reconstruct and reconfigure your idea of what a natural environment is. Now, the second reason I could see as an answer to that is a, a, the more social, maybe quasi-political reason. And that is when, you know, when people are first um, depicting prehistoric animals, because remember, paleontology is a pretty young science. Uh, right. You know, Richard Owen, uh, sort of the considered... You know, if not the founding father, one of the founding fathers of paleontology, he gotcha, only gotcha. coins the word dinosaur in the mid 1800s. So, oh wow, you have to imagine up until that point, the word dinosaur does not exist. Mm. Um, and this is you know happening in Victorian England. Um, you know, paleontology is happening elsewhere. Paleontology is is happening in a lot of other places, but if we're looking at this from how Europeans would have defined paleontology. The hubs of this are like Germany, Italy, and especially England. England, there's a huge interest in this, you know. The, right. You know, this is in part due to the British Empire being so big that they are compiling things from all around the world. Um, that is not to say that mm. the, the Germans and Italians are not uh, making important discoveries as well, but... England and sort of the scientists from there, because they have access to specimens of rocks and fossils from everywhere, you know, the British Empire goes and everywhere their explorers go and their naturalists come back with these things, they're able to put together this bigger picture of what was happening 
in, in a geological sense. The thing to remember, though, for all of this science, all of these people would have been very, very religious in one way or another. Maybe not contemporary secular people, but so many people that were highly educated back then and a lot of early scientists were educated through the clergy. Mm. You know, you had a lot of geologists that were also like, Preachers, <laughs> huh? Um, That's and, and and reverends, you know, they but right, they right. they collected rocks in their spare time, huh? Yeah, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so you have a deeply religious, and you have you have a society that is you know repressed in a lot of ways and deeply moralizes everything, you know, because these mm. are these are Victorian British people. Um, right, right. Yeah, it's there, there's a lot of wigs going on, a lot of layers of clothes. Mm, of course. And, you know, because even Charles Darwin, who's, you know, working in this period, is deeply conflicted by the implications of his discoveries. Mm-hmm. The, the weird sort of split you have in the latter part of the 1800s going into the 20th century because all of these post-Enlightenment people are finding more and more information that, if not contradicts the Bible, does not seem to back up anything in it, as far as creation goes, Uh people are having more and more of a difficult time looking at it for literal history. A lot of... A lot of this study and this curiosity about the world sort of starts with a religious um, interest. You see, you saw this a lot in the Renaissance in Italy, like all of these humanist scientists trying to understand the world and the universe better as a way to get closer to God. Right, and for sure. That was not necessarily something that um, was seen as a contradiction, except. As secular society slowly starts, secularization slowly starts to happen in this period of time in the West and will continue to grow, the religious doctrine sort at the time was, okay, well, we need to double down on how literally we take some of this stuff. Mm. So this is a long way of saying in order for people to justify the idea of a world that was created uh, by God, who is supposed to be perfect, and then destroyed uh, for humans to come later, this all had to be, this all had to fit into the biblical story. So either they are early imperfect creatures that are. Uh, destroyed for God to make way for humans, or they are creatures that in fact interacted with man, but were destroyed by the Noachian flood. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. So you see where we're going with this. So yes, everything in a lot of those Victorian drawings, it's not really, it, it has to show the chaos of the world of the primordial world that is uh violent 
and ungodly. Mm. And okay, this this sort of is reflected in not not just the stylistic conventions of the time, you know, sort of a romantic sublime idea, but it also had to fit in with their idea of what 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 was the world like before humans? Yeah, right. Yeah. So th- does does that does that sort of uh put it into perspective, I guess? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, it's one thing I think I I forgot for a, a hot second that the church essentially did dictate a lot mm-hmm. of where some of these scientific discoveries are forming from. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, and of course later on with secularization it stops and and so or it slows down, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but I didn't think about that in terms of perspective that if you're if you're focused in terms of the human centric story, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's based in us and history's formed within the creation of man. Mm-hmm. Then prehistoric creatures don't really fit that category. So they have to be yeah. that kind of way. They have to be something in this, in this kind of mindset or just like terrifying. I think yeah. is interesting as well. Um, because I think like that's something I feel like I've, oh, I've, you know, cause I, I, I'm not necessarily as familiar with a lot of these things, but it's, I kind of forgot <laughs> innocently <laughs> enough in, in as innocent as I can say. And, and in my naivete, it's like, you forget that there is that science happening at the same time that the church is still in power, that there's yeah. the split and schisms and such. And that you have different, you know, faiths kind of dictating where science is going to head and they can, you know, in, in a way I think that was, it worked to our benefit to a certain degree, you know, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, there is also these kind of consequences of how we look at things and shape our ideas based yeah. in these, in these viewpoints. But that's no, that that definitely answers that for me, for sure. Yeah. And this is where, um, this is where we sort of have to confront how critical do we want to be of media that then depicts things that are anachronistic about prehistoric life because a lot of paleo art from this time period is you know quite beautiful it is incredibly inaccurate sure so you know in the uh mid to late 1860s um and and onward you have all of these uh you have all of these artists uh in england particularly famous uh is waterhouse hawkins who creates the dinosaurs uh, for the Crystal Palace, um, which uh, burnt down, but his uh, dinosaurs are still, to this day, you can see them uh, at the Crystal Palace uh, grounds in London. It's it's really amazing to see them in person. They kind of have to be these slow, large, lizard-like dinosaurs. And they are based... they, they, They reflect the lack of fossil information that the scientists at the time would have had. They depict sort of the big dinosaurs of the day, some of the very first dinosaurs and prehistoric creatures described. They've got Iguanodon. They have Megalosaurus. The Iguanodon is is particularly famous because it's basically portrayed as a giant rhinoceros iguana. Oh, that's (laughs) wild. (laughs) Yeah, and do you know much about this story about why it is why it looks like, you know, a giant a giant iguana with one horn on its nose? 
No, I'm not familiar at all, actually. Okay. So Iguanodon was like the second dinosaur discovered. I think Megalosaurus would have been the first. Okay. And basically all they find is uh, some pieces of the hip, um, a couple of limb bones, maybe a couple of ribs, and a tooth. And the tooth uh, looks like an iguana's tooth. So Iguanodon, Iguana tooth. So they extrapolate, okay, it looked like a giant iguana, but this was a dinosaur because they had um, some of the limb bones and the hip bones. And that was what, you know, Richard Owen, for all of his problems, he was, you know, uh, not into evolution, very, Mm -hmm. very religious, rejected the idea, mocked Darwin. But Richard Owen was one of the was one of the great uh, naturalists and taxonomists of his age. He knew, at, for, for, for the time, he knew what he was talking about when he looked at anatomy, and Richard Owen correctly identified that dinosaurs have a very different hip structure than modern reptiles. They were able to recognize the bones as reptile bones, mm. yet for, for all the other weird, uh, you know, now outdated science of that time they were able to recognize that oh but these are distinct these are these are animals that hold their legs underneath themselves unlike reptiles contemporary reptiles whose legs are sprawled out to the sides other than that as far as they can tell they look like giant lizards um but they're they hold their legs underneath their bodies the only other thing that they find at that point is a spike, a bone spike, mm. and they don't know what it's for, so they assume it goes on the nose of the animal, and they reconstruct Iguanodon to look like an enormous rhinoceros iguana, basically. Interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Big, big if. Big, I guess big if, way. yes. <laughs> uh-huh. i mean but th- this was a total shot in the dark for them yeah for sure yeah so y- you know we can look at this now and be like this is completely ridiculous but they <laughs> that was that was what they had at the time so later sure. in a coal mine actually they discover more iguanodon uh, specimens and iguanodon is actually oh it actually had quite powerful back legs it was mostly quadrupedal but could Uh. run on two it had a long uh tail that you know and this is this is skipping ahead quite a bit in terms of uh when this was discovered but because for a while it was posed as like a kangaroo uh because they were like oh it's got big back legs and short front legs and a long tail it would have sat posed like a kangaroo Huh, um, okay <laughs> but that, that was also not true sure nowadays we have enough specimens to kind of put together a more complete picture um and now we know it was you know this animal that could go between quad- quadrupedal and bipedal motion mm. um but the th- the spike was actually on its thumb uh it actually had very odd hands it had its three middle fingers sort of formed a hoof its pinky would have been actually more like its thumb would have been able to cross the hand like our thumbs do uh and and be opposable essentially 
And then the thumb was a spike that the animal could use to defend itself, like a spur on on like oh. a, on a chicken or something. Right. Now, Iguanodon actually had more of a beak at the front. It had cheeks, which is Ooh. a bizarre thing to think about reptiles having cheeks, because we know... Like, try, try to picture a, a lizard with cheeks. Right. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> okay. It had cheeks and different types of teeth. This is another thing that's very unique. It had, you know, uh, a beak at the front for tearing off vegetation and then chewing teeth in the back. We don't think of reptiles hmm. today as being able to chew, but they were able to do this. And this is... I'm... I'm recapping information that was slowly gathered over the coming decades as we slowly put together what Iguanodon actually looked like. And it's actually kind of a beautiful illustration of the ways that, um, it, uh, of the way that science progresses, that there's sort of an initial big swing and somewhat of a miss. Like someone has to be the first one to get some evidence and say, okay, this is what there's evidence for. I'm throwing this out there. And then it gotcha. kind of has to get slightly corrected. The next version of Iguanodon we got was the kangaroo-shaped one, which was not correct, but <laughs> hey, it's better than giant rhinoceros iguana. And then in right. the coming decades, we further refined it. And this is sort of the story for most dinosaurs. They get exponentially more accurate. This is why we do right. no longer have big revelations about the way dinosaurs looked, the way that we kind of used to in the past couple of decades. Uh, once we figured out that most dinosaurs didn't drag their tails, in fact, I don't think there's been much of a revision other than feathers. Uh, Okay. Yeah. But you might know Iguanodon by another name. Oh. Aladar. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> from the movie Dinosaur? Yes, from the hit film. Was, was it a hit? I don't think. <laughs> it was It was a hit to me, Zan. Yes. <laughs> oh, somewhere, my God. Somewhere in every 20-somethings uh, VHS bin. <laughs> Honestly, though, I think I do have that somewhere in VHS. Yeah. Jesus, so, man. Yes. Al, uh, Aladar from the Disney movie Iguanodon. Uh, sorry, from the Disney movie Dinosaur, <laughs> was an iguanodon. And therefore, uh, oh. one of these dinosaurs that we have known about since the beginning of uh, paleontology. Interesting. Now, I mm -hmm. wonder if they, like, knew, if they purposely did that, though. Like, mm. if they based it for that reason, like, if the movie was actually smart enough, or they just thought it was the coolest. <laughs> I wonder how that. I don't know enough enough about Disney Pixar or whatever you history. You know, the interesting thing about dinosaur is I feel like they went for kind of deliberately not the most famous dinosaurs, which I yeah. think is kind of interesting. They kind of deliberately go for dinosaurs that are, um, uh, you know, a little. Uh, uh, you probably haven't heard of them, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's kind of like, um, it, you know, you're trying to uh, impress someone by mentioning uh -huh. a, a band that's slightly more obscure, you know, yeah. they're they're called Tame Impala. You probably haven't heard of 
yes, a, a perfect example. Perfect example. <laughs> not for all those. Not for all those posers that like the Arctic Monkeys. Right, right. This yeah. is the real music. This is the real indie. Yeah, the oh, real. God. Yeah, the real. If dinosaurs are indie, then the Arctic Monkeys are Tyrannosaurus, and Tame Impala is Carnotaurus. Right. Yeah, which is the featured uh, carnivorous dinosaur, the featured theropod in the movie Dinosaur. Oh. Um, yes. So again, you have. You know, it 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 came out in what two thousand dinosaur something like that. Yeah, yeah. So this is six years after Jurassic Park, or no, sorry, right. like seven years after Jurassic Park. Oh wow! Yeah, if you think about it, there were sort of a wave of dinosaur movies that came after Jurassic Park. There was a big interest in dinosaurs. You had Theodore Rex starring Whoopi Goldberg and an animatronic dinosaur that wears sneakers and they solve crimes, and this is a live-action movie, and I'm not <laughs> even kidding. There's no way that's real. You that cannot convince entirely me. entirely real. Entirely oh real. My it's God. about psychic dinosaurs. No! And what? There's, oh, yeah, and guess what? Guess what? Guess what? It's a buddy cop movie, <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg... <laughs> Oh is God. racist against dinosaurs oh jesus christ that's <laughs> well now we know what we're watching for our next watch along that'll happen eventually. i don't know if we would even make it through it it is incredibly <laughs> odd it is incredibly oh, no. odd there's like uh he's really obsessed with cookies um what? it is an it is a weird fucking movie Oh um, God! Is it like Tri? Is it did, was Triceracop better? Well, I mean, obviously, tri- that's, tri- not even a, that's not even a question. Triceracop moved more fluidly. I'm gonna say that. Yeah. From okay. Kung Fury, <laughs> and had you know what in his in his five seconds of screen time, which is part of the joke that Triceracop <laughs> shows up to Kung Fury, and he's like, "You're like right. a brother to me." <laughs> Um, like, oh my god. Triceracop in his like 30 seconds of combined screen time has more personality than <laughs> Theodore Rex. Because all oh, Theodore wow. Rex does is like cookies. That's and and has to Jesus. change uh Whoopi Goldberg's mind about dinosaurs. Right. Because yes. she's a dinosaur racist in this universe. Yeah, well, this is a mess. Well, because that was that was also that era where you reached kind of the um the the apogee of buddy cop movies because buddy cop movies were always based on the idea we're gonna put two different people together they have to work together to solve a crime you know right right kind of like uh the uncanny county museum where you uh put together uh rough and tumble florida boy (laughs) zan peters uh coupled with street smart italian stallion joe (laughs) cimino exactly it's the exact same thing Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Amazing. But you you know you had you you had your your uh straight-laced by the book cop with loose cannon cop. Right, right. Which you, yeah, which right. sometimes was old cop and young cop. Then you had um I think interracial buddy cop. Mm-hmm. That's that's your uh you know your um lethal weapons is, you know. Right. White cop and black Definitely. cop. 
Um, occasionally mm. you might get lady cop and man cop. Uh, that is also true. Yeah. But then you reach the late stages of it and they couldn't think of anything weirder. And then you got like <laughs> Turner and Hooch. So now it's cop yeah. and animal. Yeah. Which is such a bizarre thing. Yeah. Let's not read off, into the implications of that too much. No. Because eventually it it ends with Whoopi Goldberg and Dinosaur. Uh, of course, that was the natural progression. But I do think Whoopi Goldberg is the perfect stand-in for all of humanity, certainly. Um, <laughs> she, she's, mean, she, she's the everyman. Not even wrong. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, because she is, I think I think she's supposed to be like kind of the, the, the straight man to to kind of react to the dinosaur, but it's also like... You have right. Oscar-winning actress Whoopi Goldberg trying right. to act in front of an animatronic that only that kind of is a little bit. I'm gonna say a little bit worse than the dinosaurs from the sitcom <laughs> Dinosaur. Oh God! Yeah, and they're like, pretty it's rough that as it level, is. That level of glassy-eyed fake animatronic uh, acting I'm across from Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Oh jeez. <laughs> a real duo. Yes. Man. Yes. Um so Gosh, that sounds insane. Yeah. Um so what what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> oh, the movie Dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. So but you know, you had that, you had Carnosaur which came out around the mm-hmm. same time. Um but everything since Jurassic Park, there's been a certain benchmark, one of, I, I think, of quality of special effects that right. really hasn't been reached ever since. Because we've no. talked about this before, Jurassic Park's combination of practical and special effects is, you know, what makes the movie great. And I think, for the most part, still hold up. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sure. but with Dinosaur... Yeah, Disney's dinosaur. Uh, you had them going for kind of the more obscure ones, you know, because that's a movie that mm-hmm. stars like, you know, not Triceratops and uh, Brontosaurus and Tyrannosaurus, like these very famous dinosaurs and Pteranodon and stuff. Which uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Pteranodon is not a dinosaur. Please don't email me. <laughs> you had Styracosaurus, Brachiosaurus. A- a- Iguanodon, Carnotaurus, Gallimimus. Mm. It's kind of a, it's kind of a B sides, you know. Right, it's kind of refreshing in that way, though. Yeah, sure. yeah, and it's also like weirdly post-apocalyptic. Um, yeah, it's definitely yeah, that... yeah. It's riding on the coattails of uh, not not really riding on the coattails, but it's kind of a similar idea <laughs> of the Land Before Time, where you have kind of a a group of different types of dinosaurs learning to get along to get to the Great Valley. Uh, just, yeah, same it, vibe. It's, it's almost the same plot, kind of. Yeah. And yeah. But then, but then you have Aladar's lemur family tagging along. What was up with that? We never really did. We ever really explore that? Did anybody ever really question that? Like, would that have been? Is that even? That even like was that even happening at that time? I guess maybe I don't know. Uh, I don't know so, enough about prehistoric animals. So it's not entirely. 
So, so I mean, okay, so this movie falls into the thing that a lot of dinosaur movies have, which is a lot of different dinosaurs that didn't exist together, living together, and, you know, the, the plot sort of... You, you want to have a diverse bunch of dinosaurs, uh, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Y- you know, to sell a lot of toys, and also, I think, to kind of show off and exhibit these very weird and different animals. For sure, yeah. Also, definitely, it makes it easier to tell apart the different characters, uh, if we're being honest. You know? That's true. That's probably <laughs> honestly, yeah, that is true. Hi there. My name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. I mean, oh my god. I've watched that movie so much, though, as a kid. I feel like that. I mean, I was also, I liked Land Before Time a lot. Oh, yeah. I I had all of the sequels. Yes. You know? Yeah. Oh, Um, my God. So fun. Yeah, but Land Before Time also sort of followed that formula, at least in the sequels, where the first movie has a lot of very iconic dinosaurs in it, and then each sequel seemed to try to incorporate other newer dinosaurs that would have been discovered at the time. Gotcha. Okay. And the the unfair comparison is that Land Before Time at least kind of came out before Jurassic Park. Um, but definitely was riding on that 90s uh, yeah. nostalgia and uh, desire to see more dinosaur stuff. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, they're they're mix and matching a lot of geographies. I, you know, Iguanodon, there would have been American varieties, but Iguanodon's a European dinosaur. Uh, Brachiosaurus is a uh, North American dinosaur. You could have had analogs. That that's that's the thing to remember about a lot of these dinosaurs is you can say, well, it doesn't have to be this specific famous dinosaur. There was another dinosaur in that area that looked kind of similar because you know uh-huh. th- those continents would have been connected and they could have just right. walked there. You know, this right, is right. Dinosaurs were not living on at, at least uh, at least from like the Triassic onward. Dinosaurs were not living on uh, a solidified Pangaea. You know. It would have been gotcha. broken up into uh, Laurasia and Gondwana. Um, or as my Australian professor would say, Gondwana. Ah, okay. Yeah. Hmm. They talk about yeah. in the Mesozoic where Pangaea breaks up into Laurasia <laughs> and Gondwana. Pangaea. That's fun. <laughs> oh, God. oh, man. Um, uh, yes. The, but that that is... That is basically, it's minor offenses, but it is the, um, there's a lot of people that put a lot of hard work into this, and like Gary Larson, uh, the uh, creative genius behind The Far Side, they are well aware that these dinosaurs did not live at the same time, but, you know, it's for the sake of the joke, you know. Gary Larson very much admits, yes, I know cavemen didn't live at the same time as the dinosaur, but hey, I'm going to write some really great comic strips based off of that premise that we're all familiar with because it's a trope, and we all know about this. In the same way that we know, no, cows do not build tools. No, 
uh, cavemen did not hold uh, business conferences with slideshow <laughs> presentations on what to call the spiky end of a stegosaurus. Mm. It's for the Well, you joke. can't prove it. You can't prove it, though. You can't it? prove it, no. We spent so. an entire exhibit talking about how there might have been ancient academies of maybe socialist cavemen. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is very true. Um, mm. So, you know, and with, with these depictions, though, I kind of had a question regarding the feathers mm. that were brought up. Because I know from what I've been told in recent mm -hmm. years is that... What you hear around the block... You you what, hang out yeah. on you hang out on a street corner, uh, mm -hmm. you know, wearing a mask, of course, uh, of course, and just like you listen, you want to hear what's hot. You want to hear what what uh, what's the hot goss that the uh, the kids are talking about uh, with the dinosaurs. Exactly, you know, I want to be in the know. I want to know what's going on and keep it up. And I've heard that, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it has been popularized that it's possible that dinosaurs would have had more. They would have been more like bird like in representation in that way with yes. feathers versus um the kind of reptilian like skin and not skin what you know what i mean yeah hide, yeah, yeah. hide is the right word yeah. on that one yeah, yeah that we see kind of today and yeah so um, i'm kind of mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious about your take on that like how accurate is that is that the truth in this way or uh, i mean it's I a, it's a complicated answer because there's a certain amount we can never be certain of short answer is yes most uh d dinosaurs would have you know been much more would have would have moved in a way that would not be uh like lizards but it's more complicated than that because dinosaurs as a group were incredibly diverse right okay and this is the thing to kind of understand is that there are birds alive today like you know, pick pick any bird, pick a chicken, pick a sparrow, pick an eagle. And there are birds that have more recent common ancestors with dinosaurs like uh, Tyrannosaurus or, you know, the other carnivorous dinosaurs. They have more recent common ancestors, therefore more closely related to those dinosaurs than those dinosaurs were would have been to like... Uh, a a stegosaurus gotcha uh, okay you know there are dinosaurs that yes would have been more closely related to birds than they were to other dinosaurs um right dinosaurs dinosauria is a group with two two uh two orders that every now and then people try to disrupt because it's been a long-held um a long-held uh, way that we classify dinosaurs is whether they were bird-hipped or lizard-hipped dinosaurs. Every now hmm. and then, something tries to upset this, but it seems to be holding true still. There was a okay. A, when I was in college, our, uh, there was this paper that came out called the that uh, commonly was called the Buffuckening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, uh, someone put out this paper that said uh that actually uh this this ordering of dinosaurs was incorrect and that many dinosaurs that we were classifying as bird hipped were incorrectly labeled um mm. and this nothing else has kind of come out about this since and i 
don't know if any other papers have come out corroborating it. It seems like one of those things that kind of just made a splash and then went away. So gotcha. I don't know if anyone else takes it that seriously. Oddly enough, birds evolved from lizard-hipped dinosaurs, not bird-hipped dinosaurs. Oh, that's fascinating. Which makes it confusing. Um, right, yeah, that yes. throws a literal wrench in this. Yes. Uh, okay, yeah, that's yes. interesting. This- <laughs> yeah, so like, okay, so let's let's turn back the clock. Uh, oh, reference to another uh, dinosaur movie, uh, We're Back, A Dinosaur Story. Roll back the clock. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, who could forget John Goodman singing as a Tyrannosaurus? Uh, me, because I've never seen it, so I'm going to You never saw <laughs> We're Back, A Dinosaur Story? No. <laughs> <laughs> with Professor Screw-Eye? Nope. Where this a bunch is, of uh... dinosaurs eat cereal that makes their brains grow? And then time what? travel? It, yeah, Classic. Nah. Classic. Ugh. Um, I'll have to watch it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, the the watch list for this exhibit is extensive. I hope right. someone's brain doesn't explode. So let's <laughs> turn back the clock. Um, uh, roll back the rock. C- turn back the clock. Sing this song with me. Let's go back um, to when we thought dinosaurs looked like lizards. Mm. That was still people's kind of conception for a long time. Right. And in the later 1800s, there's a bit more of an understanding that, oh, some dinosaurs were bipedal. In fact, all of the predatory ones seem to have been bipedal. So there's immediately kind of a revision of, okay, we can't just depict them all as lizards, at least in sure. um, academic spheres. There's, that, that is pretty quickly corrected within a few decades. Um, and you even have in the early 1900s, you have for the time, fairly interesting dinosaur fiction already starting. Um, in 1914, mm. Arthur Conan Doyle, I'm sorry, 1912, uh, mm. Arthur Conan Doyle wow. of, uh, you, you might have known him for another little kind of obscure uh, series that he made. Uh, I, I don't know if you've even heard of it, called Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> that he really didn't like and tried to escape for the rest of his life, but it ended up being the thing right. he was most famous for, publishes uh, a uh, a story called The Lost World. Mm. And in it, you're immediately seeing what people are trying to do in fiction, because you know a lot of fiction and science fiction writers are already trying to take this kind of hot, exciting new science and put people in contact with dinosaurs right it's it's already kind of understood by at least scientists at this point that dinosaurs and humans would not have interacted um so they want to try to find a way to put pit modern man with all of his technology against uh prehistoric creatures that as far as they can tell were just all buck wild insane dangerous predators sure and Conan Doyle's idea is, oh, well, what if, because they didn't necessarily have the correct time scale. I don't believe they understood it was, you know, uh, around 64 million years ago that the dinosaurs died out, or uh, 66 million years ago that the dinosaurs died out. Mm. So they didn't understand that yet. They didn't have that number. So they, they still wanted to figure out a way. So Conan Doyle's idea for The Lost World was, 
what if there was a mountain that rose up during the time of the dinosaurs and sort of formed a time capsule? So as the world changed around a plateau, basically, uh, the prehistoric world would have remained uh, untouched in this uh, fictitious plateau in South America. So and it basically follows an expedition into the Amazon where they find dinosaurs. And this is a trope that, you know, you see with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs follows it sort of in yeah. Tarzan, um, where, you know, if, if there was kind of this fun idea. If you go remote enough on Earth, you could find dinosaurs. We even talked about this all the way back in our very first exhibit with um, Mokili Mbembe, the uh, right. dinosaur that supposedly lives in the Congo in Africa. And, you know, this is not correct. We know there are not uh, non-avian dinosaurs tromping around some ma- uh, plateau in the Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, nor are there uh, savage monkey people living there. Um, right. Yeah, it, it was the style at the time. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this is this is sort of the the idea, you know, the pre uh, Michael Crichton, who would give us the DNA angle because DNA was, you know, uh, a hot new science at his time. Right. There wasn't really a way outside of time travel to get humans and dinosaurs in the same place. But Arthur Conan Doyle also gives us that kind of classic scene in his book that we've always wanted from a dinosaur movie. And that is the dinosaur running around a modern city. Mm. And, you know, in in some of these cases, because all of this eventually got adapted to film. Sure. um, And, you know, they have to show uh, recognizable dinosaurs at this point. A lot of them like stop motion animatronics, you know, terrorizing (laughs) uh, the people of a modern city. Uh, At this point in the early 1900s, if we fast forward a little bit to the 30s, the Sinclair uh, Oil Company is using dinosaurs in its marketing. Oh, interesting. Uh, And they're playing off the idea that is not correct, but they're playing off the idea that our premium petroleum is made from fossil fuels. Our crude oil is made from the deceased animals of, of olden times. You know, it was like ads like... Uh, basically popular popularizing this idea that because petroleum was made from the decaying remains of ancient organisms that your car is being powered by dinosaurs this is not true because petroleum reserves that we use in our gasoline uh come from marine deposits it's more like masses of algae that got buried in the rock uh buried in the sand and then eventually um become uh you know these oil traps uh this this is not dinosaurs becoming the oil so it's sort of erroneous from the get-go but it was a it was pop it was kind of a popular science idea at the time you know that dinosaurs became oil there was even, um, I mean, this kind of perpetuated into the 90s. There was um, there was a 90s, early 2000s uh, cartoon. I think they only made a couple of episodes. It kind of looks like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like made in that vein. Like they made the toys first mm. and then made a show around it. I gotcha. think it was called like, um, it's called like Extreme Dinosaurs or something. 
but basically there huh. were like dinosaurs that were like also kind of like teenage mutant ninja turtle superheroes oh um, wild and okay. they even make a point that like whenever they smell gasoline they're reminded of their their families or something oh my god yeah pretty horrific <laughs> That's weird yeah at this point, so because of the World's Fair, where Sinclair is heavily advertising this, you know, they're selling stamps and postcards. There's big models of dinosaurs that they have on exhibit. Um, there, you sort of have the solidification of the iconic American dinosaurs, the mm. Apatosaurus or Brontosaurus. You can listen to uh, our exhibit on uh, paleontology gossip uh, for the Brontosaurus-Patosaurus debate. And Tyrannosaurus, Hadrosaurus, uh, Triceratops, Stegosaurus, all of these that we think of as the classic standard Gen 1 dinosaurs, you know? Right. And then everything else, it kind of feels like additional generations of Pokemon. You know? Yeah, they came later for the <laughs> yeah, other games. It's like, you know, Trico's great, but right. it, it's no Bulbasaur. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, it's no, oh, okay. it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you just kind of can't beat the, uh, the design of Charmander. It's true. It's a classic. These yeah. are the classics. You can't compete. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but that that's sort of what this feels like. This uh, solidification yeah. of this was the you know these are the big uh, you know and because they are themselves a symbol of modernity, even though they represent the past. It's because it's this new science, and right. America has you know as they've gone out west and done prospecting and everything else, all of this stuff has become uncovered um right and, right and so so these become the standard dinosaurs because of this so you have a public that even in you know during the great depression is becoming a little bit more familiar with dinosaurs they're you know always popular as children's toys and collectibles um but what you also have is hollywood churning out movies and yeah. you can do the animatronics and the stop motion but that shit's expensive so in a lot of cases, like the uh, infamous black and white uh, film uh, One Million Years B.C. of, you know, loincloth and uh, leather bikini cavemen, you know, with a... Uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, running around and, you know, with clubs and stuff. You have, like, quote-unquote dinosaurs... Right. But they're like uh, forced perspective baby alligators with like oh, sails God. taped to their backs um, or horns kind of crudely put on their heads uh, that, you know, so you'll see like you'll get to see like, you know, basically a lizard moving. But in the uh -huh. context of the film, that is a dinosaur coming it's coming right at us you know oh but it's like God. it's like a close-up yeah. shot of like a really bored looking lizard and then you have yeah. to reverse shot to a screaming cave woman you know exactly yeah yeah exactly in the, you know this would sort of continue with like the the giant gila monster another kind of uh famous mm. d movie uh where you have a a regular size gila monster that's just like boredly crawling around a set of a house but you right, then have right. a bunch of screaming teenagers you know 
That's, <laughs> that's, 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 it was the style at the time. <laughs> so you slow... Th- this would sort of be the standard standardization as well of this sort of middle period where there wasn't a lot of interest in dinosaurs pre-1970s and 80s. Uh-huh. So there was a bit of a stagnation in terms of people's conceptions of dinosaurs. It was kind of a nerd thing to know about. Right. Always kind of decently popular with young children, but until paleontology was kind of reinvigorated with, um, uh, you know, in some part due to Jack Horner discovering Egg Mountain, the uh, dinosaur breeding grounds uh, for mm. Myasara in Montana, we cannot understate what a big deal that was because it not only, you know, renewed the interest in dinosaurs, but it cast them in an entirely new light. Past yeah. that point, that very crucial point where we had evidence really for the first time, like direct evidence that dinosaurs cared for their young past the point of laying the eggs, something that yeah. is really not seen in a lot of modern reptiles. It, 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 it occurs in a couple, but this type of parental behavior and that sort of mark of intelligence of investing time in your young completely re reconfigures how we were looking at dinosaurs as a culture um Mm. there was an understanding that oh maybe there is more of this connection between dinosaurs and birds because also in that same period of time dinonychus is discovered um and people start taking this connection between dinosaurs and birds more seriously uh Interesting. you know there's a very famous fossil of it's really one of the i think if not the first one of the first specimens of oviraptor ever found oviraptor meaning egg thief and it was huh. named that because it was found on top of a nest and the nest was assumed to belong to protoceratops and that this was a predatory dinosaur it was stealing the eggs of protoceratops when we look at it oh. now we realize it's not like crouching on top of a nest gorging itself on eggs it is it has literally been preserved sitting on top of eggs the way a chicken sits on top of eggs huh its legs are parallel and crouching down in in uh in in sort of a perch position its arms are outstretched to the side like it's trying to protect them from you know probably a sandstorm that buried it Right. This was the reawakening of that idea. Because I think pretty early on, there, especially with the discovery of Archaeopteryx, which you know was discovered fairly early in paleontology in Germany, there was an idea of, oh, here's an animal with basically a dinosaur's skeleton, and it has bird wings. Mm. So we've known about the feathers, but... There needed to be kind of that thing of, well, to what extent were dinosaurs feathered? And one of the things we have to look at when we look at evolution is could, if something, uh, if something's ancestor had something, then the descendants of that ancestor can potentially have that thing. And what has been found is that feathers did not seem to be something that appeared just when, um, you know, Manny Raptor dinosaurs are 
you know, becoming lighter and lighter predators and learning to fly. Feathers keep getting pushed back in dinosaurs' evolutionary line. It seems like more increasingly primitive dinosaurs, and I may, may, primitive's, you know, a bit of an outdated word. Yeah. But older and older dinosaurs are showing up in the fossil record that had feathers. What this means is everything that came after them could have potentially had feathers. Mm. Now, this is what complicates it. Some dinosaurs appear to have lost their feathers. We have... It's very easy to say, okay, well, predatory dinosaurs all ancestrally had feathers, so they all were feathered. That does not appear to be true. There seem to be dinosaurs, particularly abelisaurs, like the aforementioned Carnotaurus, had scoots, had scaly skin, like a crocodile, huh. uh, with, you know, uh, bony uh, bumps all on them. But we also can be fairly certain Velociraptor had feathers, not only because of its proximity to uh, dinosaurs that would become birds, not Velociraptor itself, but dinosaurs like it would have become birds. Uh, but Velociraptor's arms actually do have little knobs on it that would have anchored like the pen feathers, those really thick feathers that uh, mm -hmm. form wings of birds. Oh, so okay. We can be pretty certain that at least on part of its body, if not most of its body, Velociraptor had feathers. Interesting. Uh, ancestors of Tyrannosaurus had feathers. However, the skin impressions that we have found so far of T Rex do not feature feathers. Gotcha. So maybe it was like the type of thing like uh, certain mammals that have hair when they're young and they lose it as they get older because if you have a larger body you're able to self-regulate your body temperature better um mm. and we can also be pretty certain that most dinosaurs were either warm-blooded or mesotherms uh kind of like modern day tuna fish uh where they're in between cold-blooded and warm-blooded gotcha so okay. it's it, it's huh. a comp this is a very long way of answering <laughs> your question for, no, but it, I don't think there's an there's a short way to be honest. Yes, because I, I think you have to constantly kind of keep going back with this. But it's very interesting for sure mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I don't. I think it also shows the complexity, but also a lot of the like unknown still to a lot of these things, mm -hmm. um, which is of course expected given yeah. how long ago it is. But I mm -hmm. I think it's very it's very fascinating, and I almost wonder if you'll start to see that included in the next kind of representations of dinosaurs mm. in media if we ever see yeah. that happen again which i think we will i don't think it's going away yeah anytime no. soon you know like i think even with like i mean like just godzilla in general and that mm -hmm. whole universe of big monsters i think mm -hmm. you will i don't know maybe you'll find a rejection to that and, and something more realistic or you'll find these other really bad b movie yeah. type like oh we're gonna go back to yeah. the prehistoric times and you yeah. know like what was that what was it, like terra nova was like that and it yeah. got like a season and then they were like no uh, this they didn't, tried, this didn't they work. tried well every now and then you have every now and then you have someone that wants to have like more contemporary dinosaurs and a yeah uh, and kind of a, a new way of looking at them either through time travel the genetic thing is a little hard to avoid e getting compared to Jurassic Park. Yeah, for sure.
it's uh i i do hope that more sort of uh can be kind of made out of this because we're certainly mm-hmm. past the point of only seeing dinosaurs as sluggish imperfect creatures and i mean yeah. that is really the thing that comes out of jurassic park is seeing dinosaurs as fast intelligent predators where there's a lot right, that's right. exaggerated there for the science and a lot that's glossed over but that's an yeah. important that's an important uh point as well in the public's understanding of dinosaurs because you know for for all of those decades in between there were dinosaur movies but if they weren't using you know animatronics and claymation they were reusing like the same footage from 1 million bc it was incredibly odd that like basically hollywood just had this footage and kept reusing it for decades yeah you know um and you know it was like they they would do it with like uh the king King kong and its sequels Mm -hmm. um there were other attempts to kind of remake 1 million bc uh they would make like 100 million bc uh <laughs> 102 million bc <laughs> <laughs> yeah the 100 and 101 dalmatians logic right exactly yeah, i you know all all of this stuff is sort of part of a story of our pop culture and everything else and it's uh you know we're we're also living in a in in a time where there's people that also have objections to this on a religious ground. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was, but there's, and you even see, I even remember like the, uh, the, the TV, the British TV show, uh, primeval, mm. which I watched for a while would even kind of like have to like make some reference to God at some point, which is weird for a British show. Yeah, and really though, and I know that like people that worked on that show also worked on the incredibly amazing Walking with Dinosaurs, uh, uh, TV series for the BBC. Oh, right, right. Uh, that was like I think that came out in ninety eight or ninety nine, and those are fantastic documentaries because I think mm-hmm. that they meet somewhere in the middle of the two extremes of dinosaurs as voracious predators constantly killing everything they see and you know sloth like uh sinful animals uh lounging about it shows even for all the science it gets wrong it shows them as animals it shows them as you know creatures that are capable of amazing things but also you know aren't in a you know sometimes they just lie in the sun true yeah you know anybody that's anybody that's been around an animal knows that they do that yeah i do that everybody does (laughs) 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 no but it's really interesting though in that way that that was able to kind of achieve that as well Mm -hmm, to represent mm -hmm. them in a more animalistic way not in a negative but in this positive viewpoint versus something so i don't know trope filled and kind of uh, yeah two-dimensional for lack of a better yeah, word yeah another thing i also always found kind of mm-hmm. interesting was the the sound design and the way that mm-hmm. kind of jurassic park also led a huge i think jump now into that like the the mm-hmm. idea of what do dinosaurs sound like 
especially in yeah. these movies. What is it going to be? But and that like, itself is another construct because we expect yeah. them to roar and we expect them to, you know, when I think the evidence right now, this could change, but the evidence right now is that dinosaurs would have, you know, they they probably could have made grumbling sounds like in the way that right. crocodiles and alligators can. They probably would have hissed. Some of them yeah. probably would have made things that sounded like, not entirely like, but probably similar to cooing, you know? Right, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, that's... More bird-like sounds. The, exactly, but, exactly. Even for, even for Jurassic Park, we have to remember that sound that you hear the Tyrannosaurus make is, you know, a combination of elephant, uh -huh. lion, and tiger roars. Yeah. You know, like, and... It's uh, it's interesting listening. Uh, I would be fascinated to watch like walking with dinosaurs with you and just talk about the sound design for where yeah. they're trying to come up with these these sounds. Because some of them, I feel like you can hear them as like it's like machinery that they're sampling. Yeah, yeah, it's very not. Mm -hmm. It's 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 not uh, organic. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's and it's yeah. done. It's done to fit that that idea. Mm -hmm, of the aggression mm -hmm. of something terrifying of what huge. people think what people think they should have sounded like based on you know what our human fears are of you know big cats exactly <laughs> yeah which which doesn't really line up in this way and you can't have it be i think this is another thing where if you have something as a spectacle you can't necessarily have it be too accurate because then no one wants it yeah but i, I mean i guess yeah. that would define the that would also define then the medium that would change maybe. Mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. know. That's, yeah, that's something that's very interesting and I hope kind of gets flushed out a bit more. Cause it always, yeah. I, I don't know. It always kind of bothered me. I think once that was pointed out to me that that's like not what it would sound like. And mm. in fact, it would be different. It's just never really left my head. Cause I'm always like, ah, yeah. oh, that's actually a bunch of different things mixed together. And yeah. you know, well, yeah. I guess, I guess we have to ask ourselves if accuracy makes for better media um which sometimes mm. sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't you know there's because like there's there's people that seem to value accuracy in like period pieces and dramas uh -huh. and uh you know that that historical realism is what we want and then there's stuff like you know the princess bride that <laughs> seems to uh exist in no particular time or place just yeah. vaguely medieval, but they also know about Australia. Right. <laughs> and I'm I not, sure, I'm not sure where in Europe the rodents of unusual size live. Um, mm. That's just been lost to time. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I'm, you know, as a kid, I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. I was an incredibly pedantic, obnoxious child. No, <laughs> which has only made, which I, has completely gone away in my adulthood. <laughs> where I, I was, I, I'm the worst person. I went up to a comedian, uh, and said, "Hey, all your jokes were great. By the way, potatoes didn't exist, weren't in Europe in the 1300s uh, when you made that one joke." And he's like. It's like I made all these jokes about like killing cops and and white people and stuff, and your complaint is my potatoes weren't accurate. <laughs> Amazing! Oh my god! So I, that tells oh, that tells fantastic. you where my sensitivities lie. Like I can handle <laughs> I can handle white people jokes. 
I right. I will not stand for historical inaccuracy, or I at least will not. I have this thing where I have to tell somebody about it. That being said, I will occasionally erroneously refer to Pteranodon as a dinosaur, even though it's a pterosaur. I know it's not. I made it through <laughs> three years of paleontology in college. I'm not a paleontologist, but I know that. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a mammoth is not a dinosaur. Uh, but right. I know these things and I know all of this. And yet I still enjoy Gary Larson and all of his many wonderful cartoons. Yeah. Fun fact. Another fun fact about mammoths um, or more, I guess, about movies about mammoths. There was a mammoth in the movie One Million Years B.C., but they did use a real elephant and stuck a bunch of fake fur to it. They got one shot before the elephant, um, as uh, as it was put in the uh, book I'm using as a source, disrobed. Oh, <laughs> what? Couldn't, couldn't stay in character. Couldn't stay in costume. No, it's kind of it's kind of like it. it's kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's really concerned right. that they're going to cover him up with a beard and all this and a hat and people aren't going to recognize him it's really oh, yeah it's really bad for your film <laughs> resume if you're not recognizable right exactly yeah <laughs> oh man yeah i'm really glad that uh we got a, a chance to kind of go through all of these odd remnants of dinosaurs and pop culture yeah along with these very creepy uh aladar hand puppet oh uh, my god from- yeah i used to have these as a kid man oh <laughs> they're probably probably still do in my dinosaur bin because i had a dinosaur bin as you do with all your toy dinosaurs oh yeah i i had dinosaur bins but i arranged them by era <laughs> of course yes i, had I to didn't keep i didn't know of, any better. i had to keep my jurassic dinosaurs uh separate from the uh mm-hmm. cretaceous dinosaurs of course of course of course yeah, I mean that's what you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, what what are you gonna do? Play with them together? <laughs> no, no, they like didn't an even idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, amazing. Yeah. Uh, what would I what I would give Zan to mm-hmm. see that, mm-hmm. to know what it was like. Um Yeah, I, I do wonder, like, would we have been friends if we were small children? Uh, instead of uh only having known each other for the past two years. Or less than two years. <laughs> I know, right? Feels like a lifetime. <laughs> I think so, because I was like, I was really into history books as a uh-huh, kid, uh-huh. and I really did enjoy people who knew a lot of obscure information. Right, like that's how I found out about Monty Python was because oh, yeah. I'm a friend of somebody who was just like obsessed with Monty Python because oh, no, their brother formed, showed it to them. That formed the entirety of my sense of humor in middle school. Same, literally. Same. <laughs> so I f- see. This is the answer. I feel like that's how we would know because oh my god, have, have you ever thread. seen the the sketch about the Brontosaurus? I don't know. I don't think so. There's one where there's this Actually, guy. There's this uh. Th- there's this guy doing a talk show, and I think this this uh person comes on as like. I have a new theory on Brontosaurus. I think they were very, very thin at one end, much, much thicker in the middle, and then thin again at the far end. And he's like, "Well, you really hit your, uh, hit the head of the nail with this theory." And they're like, "Yes, <laughs> and it's mine." <laughs> oh man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have to watch. I've never seen it, mm-hmm. or at least it doesn't seem familiar. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my whole thing with Monty Python was the Holy Grail. That was oh, I, I can yeah. recite that verbatim. 
Yes, like, yes. Th- from beginning to end. The D kind of a... campaign from hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what it is, though. That's so accurate. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Oh jeez. But no, this was really great. I, mm-hmm. I thanks for answering some of these questions that I've also had and have been kind of curious about for a really long time. It's always really mm-hmm. interesting um to consult a I'm going to just call you an expert on on this kind of stuff because I feel like that's pretty accurate. (laughs) Hopefully, uh, not to give too much away, but I believe over the summer we are going to have uh, some uh, better experts on all of this uh, on the UCM. So stay tuned. Yes, super exciting. Um, Yeah, sorry. I like you. This was not a big Joe episode uh, for for the Joe stands out there. Yeah, this was this was uh let Zan ramble. Uh not since uh Joe has let Zan talk about Bruce Springsteen un- interrupted for 20 minutes. Uh It's it's fine. I you know I have my own random things I rant about for like 20 minutes straight and then we end up just like my westerns. Where I have to talk about that specific <laughs> thing that rattles my brain or sci-fi or anything like that. We both have our ends of spectrums that are and, and knowledge that we know about and i feel like when it comes to that it's important to mm-hmm. let said mm-hmm. person talk and i'm just here to listen and comment and question because mm-hmm. i also am not that familiar um mm-hmm. with this particular topic but i watch a lot of movies and i feel like that's enough uh-huh. right to, uh-huh. to be able to ask questions what else in makes this regard. an expert that's true. I mean, you can yeah. basically if you post enough on Facebook, you're considered an expert by people. Oh. So yeah, that, is know. that is that what it means to be a published uh, author? If you lie on your resume, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah, just uh, you know, it's like oh yes, I've been uh, published in uh, many many outlets. Uh, yes, yes, I have a peer reviewed. Uh, <laughs> right, my, exactly. my peers, my peers reviewed it and gave it a link. well. That, <laughs> that's yeah. That is true. That's like somebody saying, like, they watch, instead of saying, I, I watch a lot of anime, it's, I actively study Japanese uh, linguistics. Well, that's um, only, almost every well, day. Joe, that's because no one wants to admit they watch anime. All right. Admit, admitting you study anime is only slightly less embarrassing than saying, I watch anime. <laughs> I don't know why I'm being so mean to anime fans right now. You're, you're just insecure. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, i am uh <laughs> but anyway this has been great yeah mm-hmm, really exciting mm-hmm. uh i think yeah i think we should keep in dinosaurs will return eventually oh they'll be that's back. A, that's an that's an honest threat <laughs> now that i think about it like imagine somebody saying like the dinosaurs will come back now what Sometime. if i told you they're already here <gasps> oh man but they're birds oh oh it's yeah. a little less intimidating and fun yeah I mean, until yeah. until you meet a cassowary. Mm, true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um. Well, thank you so much for visiting us today at the Uncanny County Museum. Um. If you'd like to find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter, at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Go ahead and give us a follow. We give updates on when we... Uh, are uh have new and exciting things going on uh new episodes and sometimes it's a place where we can post our bad jokes this is true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you have any suggestions or information you would like to uh contribute uh you please feel free to reach out to us through there uh we love hearing from people hearing uh what they enjoy about the show less what they don't enjoy about the show but 
but <laughs> it, anyways, it, it's kind of like being in TSA. It's just kind of nice having someone talk to you. It's like, oh, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going Very today, true. sir? It's like, I'm so glad you asked. Nobody asked yeah. where I'm going to, on vacation. Uh, oh, you want to know what's in my bag? Oh, well, I'm really proud of these. Pieces. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, so so please feel free to reach out to us. Um, I am at Xanosaurus on Instagram. And I'm Joe Semino Art on Instagram. Uh, Joe, you have something to plug, don't you? I do, yeah. I have some, I guess, relevant art news. I recently got into a show or an exhibition Ooh. titled In Touch um, at the CICA Museum in South Korea. So as my one friend quoted, I am now Mr. Worldwide which oh, is always yes. fun. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my artist bio and no one can stop me. Yeah. So. Oh my God. You're. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I... Pitbull's really going to be coming after us for this episode. <laughs> I know. Well, we got to, we got to round it all off. I like things to be circular. So, yeah. but no, that's, that's exciting. It's, you know, that's one thing I'll, I'll, plug as it gets closer you know and things kind of progress but i'm really excited about that looking forward to hearing back from some other things working on some new projects i'll plug eventually as they mm -hmm. develop here uh zan you have an upcoming exhibition as well yes if i, I do. recall i have um my painting reproductions is being exhibited at the limner gallery in hudson new york uh there is uh an opening reception july 10th uh it is as far as i know still scheduled to be in person so if nothing else get vaccinated so mm. you can come hang out there and i guess have a semi-normal art opening for the first time in over a year god yeah 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 there's uh i think that about does it so mm -hmm. thank you again from everyone here at the ucm I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Semino. We'll be back. Bye. Bye.